Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this new day, this day where we come together to worship, to hear your ancient words come alive and be new for us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would find for each of us a way to bring us closer to you through your word today. Amen. So I have a question for you. How do you choose your clothes in the morning? I imagine there are so many different answers among us. And in fact, I think I might have already made a few assumptions in the way that I framed my question. Someone among you is ready to jump back and say, in the morning, that's my favorite part of the night or even the day before deciding what I'm going to wear. And of course, there are those of you who are also wanting to correct my use of words, choose. I let chance choose for me whatever's next in the drawer or whatever's clean enough. Or maybe you're saying, well, I let my spouse choose or my parents or maybe even your children. I wonder how many parents have heard the words, you're going to wear that out? I think a lot of children have heard it, but parents too. I remember there was a trend for a bit where people would come into your home, stylists, right? And they would mark which clothes go with one another. I think there was even a TV sitcom with this where there were colored dots so that you knew which things went with which other things. I don't know whether anyone ever really did this or needed it. But regardless of when you choose what to wear, at some point, we do all make the decision. And I imagine that sometimes this is driven by our circumstances. If you're going out for a walk this morning, for instance, you're going to be a little bundled up. If you're here, that is. If you're going for a walk in Florida or Arizona, like some of you, for instance, you're going to be dressed a little bit differently. And if, like our friend Phyllis DeFrancisco, you intend to hit a hole-in-one like she did earlier this week in South Carolina, a hole-in-one. You're going to need to be dressed for the occasion. You're going to need to be dressed for what you're doing. And we think about what we'd wear because quite often what we wear matters to us for our comfort or perhaps for a statement that we're trying to make. For many people, their garments even speak politically. In parts of the world, certain clothing is mandated, especially for women. But even in our workplaces and our schools, women are absolutely treated differently when it comes to clothing. Clothing becomes a way we judge people and the way we make judgments about people. In fact, what we wear is perhaps the most obvious or visible statement about who we are whether we realize we're making a statement or not. Our identity is on display. And identity, human identity, and divine identity are at the core of Advent and at the core of our human dance with God. Identity, how God sees us and how we see ourselves and how we see God. These revelations, these understandings, they are the invitation of the incarnation. They are the invitation that God made to humanity when God expressed love beyond our comprehension in Jesus Christ. The invitation to know God. 
the invitation to be known by God, and the invitation to have our encounter with God transform us. In our text that Walt read from Isaiah this morning, the prophet writes that they are rejoicing because God has clothed them with the garments of salvation. God has covered them with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. If there ever is a day in most people's lives when what they will wear will matter more than any other, perhaps it's their wedding day. The hunt for the perfect dress, for the bride, for the mothers, for the attendants, suits for the men, and even all the guests deciding what to wear. Clothing matters. And in this text this morning, the imagery of clothing, the imagery of God clothing the prophet, of God clothing each one of us, moves us to ask the question, how would God clothe us? How would God clothe me and what would God have to say about me? And what would it tell me about how God sees me? Friends, we spend a lot of time wondering how other people see us. But I wonder how often we wonder how God sees us. I wonder if we even wonder if God sees us. But the reality is this. God does see you. God knows you. And God's incarnation in Christ was so that you and I could see a glimpse more, a closer look at what it means to be children of this one who clothes us in garments of salvation. The one who covers you in robes of righteousness. The one who seeks to bring those things into our lives because God is the one who desires for us something new, a love, a grace, an endless expression of love beyond measure. This is what God desires for us, and it is what we are called to seek to be a part of in the world. We are being clothed by God because God is seeking to have us be God's love in the world. We are called to live in the world today as though it is the world of tomorrow the world that God intends it to be. In our text this morning, a text again that was written at a time of desolation, a time where people's lives were complicated by confusion and doubt, and even in the moments of hope, a realization that the road to normal, whatever that means, the road to normal was going to be a long and difficult one, if normal could ever even return. And there's some bitterness among the people. Bitterness toward God, confusion toward God, and frustration. And I get it. Looking back in Isaiah's time, I get it. But I get it today, too. I get it today as I look around, as I look at the strife in our communities, as I look at the political discord in our country, as I look at the fatigue and exhaustion related to the pandemic, 
as I think about the suffering that those we love are experiencing, all of this comes together and I get it. And so how interesting it is that the message that comes through this prophet to these people and to us today is that God is clothing us as for a wedding. This marriage analogy is one throughout scripture, but this usage in this text, it's pretty unique. And it's important to consider what marriage meant in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Marriage ceremonies and and marriage adornments, the clothing of marriage, but also all the celebratory trappings of a wedding, these were all designed around the goal of prolific fertility. Marriage was a promise not just of love, but of love manifesting itself in abundance. And so this message to God's people, clothing us like a beautiful couple, a glowing couple, is God's promise that even in the midst of our wandering, and even in the midst of our struggles, and even in the midst of our feelings of scarcity, even in the midst of of that, abundance is coming. And in the middle of all this, again, God's claim on humanity, God's word to humanity is that God will not rest. God will not forget God's people. God will not only make the land prosper, but God will make for them a crown of beauty. This is God's claim on God's people, a promise that God will do a new thing, a promise that God will bring change, a newborn baby, a light in the midst of a struggling world. So I think at all times in our lives, but especially now, what we all need is a good look in the mirror. We need a look in the mirror to see that God has clothed us. God has clothed you. God has claimed you. God has called you God's own. And God has clothed you in the garments of salvation, covered you in the robe of righteousness. And in God's eyes, you are the most beautiful bride. You are the most handsome groom, the most worthy to wear a crown. This is your identity in which God clothes you and God loves you and God claims you. This is the identity into which you are called to approach the baby Jesus with an expectant heart. This is the idea into which you are called into this confusing time in which we live and remembering always, like the prophet writes, remembering always that God will not rest. And God will not be silent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.